Hey friends, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this message today. Everything that the Lord shows me is designed to impact people's lives and advance the kingdom in a mighty way. My prayer is that you would be so blessed and so rooted and so established in the more that the Lord has in store for your life. And remember, stay fired up. I believe every disciple and believer's life should be full of signs and wonders and miracles. I believe that. But signs and wonders and miracles only come out of vessels that make the choice to live wholeheartedly and fully after him. That make the choice to deny themselves and make the choice to be temperate in all things and to bring their bodies, their actual physical body, into subjection. And that's the last scripture of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul's talking about running a race. And he said, if I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase it for you. He says, if I'm going to win the prize, then I've got to be temperate. It means to be self-controlled in all things. Everybody say all things. things. And then he goes on to say, he concludes chapter 9 with this incredible saying. He says, less when I preach to others, I become disqualified. That's hypocritical living. That's making a decision to lean on the anointing and your gifts and your talents and your desires for ministry but choosing to sacrifice your family and your personal life for the sake of the call. And in turn, your family's a mess. And you you sacrifice your kids and your marriage on the altar of ministry. Some of you grew up in homes like that. We're out to change that. We're out to see our families and our children and our community be rock solid and to be on fire. And being on fire looks like something. It's not hype fire. You can't You can't fake the fire. Either you are or you aren't. And when you try to offer strange fire like Aaron's sons did in the Old Testament, some of you may not know that story, but they they had probably seen and experienced some of the real fire. And when they were compromising in their personal lives and they had moral unrighteousness in their personal lives, but yet they had a duty to be priests and God's fire wasn't showing up, they said, well, we'll just fake it till we make it. God doesn't want your fake it till you make it. He wants authenticity. 39 of the Psalms are open complaints to God. But there's two different types of complaining. There's a complaining that comes with doubt and fear, and I don't trust you, and I don't believe you anymore, God. That leads to death. And there's a complaining that says, Lord, I don't understand, and I've got to pour out my heart to you because I know that you care about me, and so I'm coming to you. This, I don't like the situation, circumstances. I'm struggling. Please, God, help me. Yeah. It's you turning your struggle and your challenge. It's you embracing it and turning it back to him, even if it's pouring out your complaint to him because he can handle it. He can handle it. And what God wants is he wants a people that are so lit up and on fire that will pay the price and become too spiritual because there's actually no such thing. There's no such thing as too spiritual. The truth is, is most people aren't spiritual enough. And when you understand what the word spiritual means, it means non-carnal and breath or wind driven. It means that I've paid the price and made the sacrifice to say, I'm not going to live the way that I lived anymore. I'm not the man that I once was anymore. God has changed my life and now made me strong so that those of you that are here today struggling, that have maybe strife in their home, fear, worry, doubt about money, their jobs are acting out like an animal, 
because there's animal nature everywhere in our society. The Bible calls it carnal, which is carnivore. When people are living in a circus full time, God has a way of bringing order and structure and life that's non-controlling so you can look up to somebody and say, I want to be like that. Because we who are strong have to bear with the failings of the weak. So God takes you, makes you, breaks you, rebuilds you, renews you, rewires you, and then he makes you strong. And the question is, is where are you in the process? Because everything's a process. That's why there's a massive amount of grace here. Massive amount of grace. No, you're not getting beat over the head with the Bible. You're getting challenged to live more like him. And it's not a quick fix. And you don't build a life just solely based on manifestations. You build a life on intimacy and identity. So let's, I'm going to several times throughout the message today have you repeat words. Because when you say it out of your mouth and you interact, it gets inside of you. So let's everybody say intimacy, intimacy. and identity. Now I don't care if you've heard it a thousand times. I'll preach it for the rest of my life. And as much as I love signs, wonders, and miracles, and casting out demons, praying in tongues, prophecy, I love all those things. But if we don't get the main thing, the main thing, let's all say the main thing, the main thing. The main thing that needs to be the main thing is that you understand who you are and your identity. And that you're not afraid to pay the price because unfortunately, the sad state of the church is that so many people are not reading their Bible and willing to make the sacrifice to pay the price to be with them. And that's probably a lot of us because we get entangled, everybody say entangled, in the cares and the affairs of this world. And I understand it. I have coffee shops. I have bills to pay. I've got remodels going on. I've got babies. I've got a marriage. I've got my personal life. We've got a growing church. But if I don't make the main thing the main thing, if I personally do not pay the price to spend time with him, read the word, and hear his word, I'll perish in the way. And to perish means to get lost and go astray. And God doesn't want anybody getting lost or going astray, right? Instead, what he wants is he wants you to become. He wants to make you into something great. He wants to honor you. The Lord actually wants to honor you. Let me show you how this works, okay? Levi is a great man of God. I love him. I love his heart. He's come so far in the years that I've known him. Their marriage, their family are rock solid. He's got a spirit of prophecy on him. He's anointed. He cares. He's a lover. He's a server. And he's just really is a great man. So is his wife. They're both awesome. When they come here, it's my desire to honor him. I just honored him. I have this burning thing inside of me to prefer you and to honor him or each other before myself. That's the way the Lord feels about you. And the lie of the devil is to get you to believe he doesn't care. You've screwed up so much. All your sin that stained you and you're never going to get it right. And then the devil comes in and beats you down. Gets you to believe lies, hearing the wrong thing. And then if we're not careful, we'll get a misguided perception of who the Lord is. And we'll start treating others that way. Because that's how the devil works. He'll manifest through other people. He'll get you to believe a lie. And then a person that calls themselves an on-fire Christian or a Christian or whatever is going to be the one that hurts you. But when you come to the place of rock-solid identity at the cross where you've laid your life down, where you're living at 24-7, you'll walk in here with a different expectation. And instead of taking, you'll be giving. 
And then we'll have a church that's unified so when the meth addict and the drug addict and the alcoholic and those that are struggling with pornography and all the, the, the wiles of the devil in the darkness walk in here, you have become strong, Romans 15.1. You have become strong to now help someone. And if you're still weak and you're still struggling, I'm always still here. Give me your hand. Because I love you. And I'm not going anywhere. And you guys are going to have to understand that God is into building community. Signs and wonders don't build community. Signs and wonders attract people to the community because there's power. Everybody wants to come to the fire. But when you're cold, you learn to stay by the fire, and then you constantly stay hot. That's the, the understanding of Psalm 212. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry with you and you perish along the way. Man, this is, a, this is a powerful scripture. Kiss the sun? The understanding of kissing means I'm fastening myself to, and as I fasten myself to an in intimacy, I then get equipped for battle because I become fiery hot. That's what that means. Psalm 2.12, kiss the sun. The word kiss is the word nashak in Hebrew. It means to fasten yourself and to be equipped for battle. But the root word of nashak is the word nasak, which means to be burning hot and on fire for the Lord. See, this fire thing's not a hype thing. This is a reality. The only people that really live on fire is the people that pay the price to dig deep. Everybody say dig deep. Oh, man, there's an anointing right now in this place. I can't make my hair stand up on end. I can't. Make all of your hearts be knit together in one, but the Holy Spirit can. Yeah. And when his word comes and his truth comes, see, the word angry is the understanding of breathing hard. <sighs> and if you understand breathing hard, the premise is that God's word and breath sustains everything. And so when you compromise and you don't live a life of intimacy with the Lord, the word perish means that I get lost and go astray. That's what that means. So then... God's laws break me. I don't break God's laws. They break me. Remember that. You don't break God's laws. They break you. Because God's word's already established everything. Isn't this so good? Are you guys just eating like a good word right now? It just feels so good, doesn't it? I didn't hear that. Kissing the sun. It's the understanding. Come here, honey. She loves this. She loves this. It's my bride. Just turn your cheek sideways. Now come here. Now this is the understanding of fastening myself to her. She's my wife. I can do this. I've never done this before. But the premise is, the premise is, is in the kiss. Everybody say in the kiss. In the kiss is intimacy. In the kiss is your breath. In the kiss is your fastening. And then what God does is he lights you up with passion and excitement. I won't get weird on you, but think marriage. Think when you first fell in love. Think your first lover, how much you thought about that person all the time and you only wanted to be with them. And your desire was nothing more than to fasten yourself to them. Or when you got engaged for the first time and when you were engaged to be married and brides, women, you know how much all you did was think about your wedding and what it was going to be like. I've done a lot of weddings, so I understand. I have to tell most women, calm down. At the end of the day, it's not about all the stuff and how good it looks. It's about the presence of God. Yeah. Take a deep breath. Let's invite God's presence here. And then when God's presence comes, 
you really don't care about all the flowers and the decorations. We, we like the flowers and decorations, but who wants a nice wedding? I almost said funeral. Who wants a nice wedding <laughs> without God's presence? I've done that many times, by the way, many times. So the premise is, is you stay fiery hot when you're willing to dive deep into his presence and intimacy and dig deep. Unfortunately, most people don't read their Bibles. It's a real issue in the church. Or we read just little tiny bits here and there. And there can be a line upon line and a precept upon precept, but we're not reading with understanding and we're not reading because we really want to know him. We'll read out of duty because I was told I have to read my Bible. And then suddenly reading your Bible becomes boring and like eating cardboard all the time. Whereas for me, I can't get enough of God's word. I can't get enough of God's word. And so Jesus, when tempted in the wilderness, he says what? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So if you're not spending time hearing God's voice and reading from his word, then you're malnourished. And we got a lot of malnourished Christians but I'm here to change that. So if, it's okay if you feel a little conviction. I'm not beating you up. I'm going to call you so deeper today that when you walk out of these doors, you're going to look, man, because look, I'm living what I'm preaching, and I make no apologies for what I say to you. You're not going to get five steps to live a better life. You're going to get one step to be on fire, which causes you to then live a better life. You'll manage your money, treat your kids well, and you'll have a good marriage when you make the decision to pay the price and dive deep with the Lord. And the problem is we have a misunderstanding of who the Lord is, which is why we have a Cultivate class. It's a 12-week discipleship class every Sunday at 9.30, not next Sunday because we have a special speaker, but that's why I raise up a discipleship director and a team that teaches people how to read their Bible, their identity, and who they are and what it means to be a Christian. Because sometimes you need somebody to teach you and to show you and to help you get an understanding about God's word. It's called discipleship. And when Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, that word is rhema, which is the breath inspired right now what God's saying right now word. So if I preach really well by the Holy Spirit, not my own wisdom, if I preach really well, then God's breath will breathe on every person in this room at the same time. Can you imagine hundreds of people all getting inspired and hearing God's word at one time? That's how good he is. And that's why, I believe it's 1 Peter 4.01. It could be 2 Peter. I'd have to look it up. But I know it's 4.01 because, it, because that's the information hotline. Mark 4.11, mysteries of God are reserved for God's people. But in, in Peter, Peter says, let him who speak, speak the oracles of God as God gives the ability. The word give the ability in the Greek is the understanding of being, it's the exact word for choreograph. It means he's the master conductor. We're all just riding along, letting him make a beautiful symphony out of all of us at one time. Yeah. It's the miraculous ability of God in Acts chapter 2 when Peter, the, the uneducated stutterer, stands up and quotes almost word for word Joel chapter 2 and 3,000 people in an instant without a PA and a microphone. 3,000 people get born again and give their lives to Jesus in a minute. That's how good God is. And what God's out for is he's out to bring unity and to tear down division so that we prefer one another, that we love one another, and that we esteem others before ourselves. But the only way I can esteem you well is if I'm doing it really good or else I'll be disqualified. 
So God wants his breath word upon you, but you won't know what God is saying if you don't know what God has said, which is why reading your Bible is so absolutely critical. Because the, the word becomes my strength and stability at all times. Anything I ever want to know about how God feels, what he thinks, what he said, what he wants is all written in the word. So once I get that word written on my heart, now God breathes upon me, and I'm ignited. It ignites his word. Inside his word and his voice is fire. That's why in Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4, there's this little word that's said multiple times, and we're all going to say it today. Let's say today. today. And the premise is, is today, right now. There's a rest, and today, if, if, everybody say if. You'll hear God's voice. Today, if you'll hear his voice and not harden your hearts like the Israelites did in the wilderness, which then perished because they weren't fastened to the Lord. They weren't hearing his voice. They were disobedient. And in turn, they got went astray. They got lost. And then they perished. We don't like to talk about consequences, but I constantly think about what happens if I do this? What happens if I don't do that? And the premise of today is going to be, what happens if I do this and what happens if I don't do that? And so you can get your Bible ready to Psalm 91 because it's one of the most awesome psalms in the Bible. I'm so excited to teach on that because we're in a fast. Yeah. Let me tell you about this fast real quick. This is an eight-day fast designed to bring rest and new beginnings to your life. This isn't a legalistic fast. It's a matter of you letting go of something that distracts you or takes your time or you feel like you have to have and replacing it with prayer and spending time with the Lord. Yeah. I love what Nathan, our worship leader, said. He said, I, he said, I know what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to fast a couple meals a day, which, by the way, I've done a 21-day fast where I didn't eat breakfast and lunch, but I just ate dinner. Or you could do a fruits, grains, and vegetables fast. For some of you, cutting out coffee and cheesecake and your Snickers bar at three is going to kill you. <laughs> so you choose things of cut... If you were to just spend the time that you spend on social media and Facebook and the internet in reading the Bible, that right there alone will transform your life. So I'm just challenging you guys to do something more because I understand when you make the sacrifice, there's always a great result. There's always choices and there's always results. One way or another, there's always a choice we have to make. Fasting is not the most fun discipline, but I've learned that I can make it enjoy. It's not this burdensome, arduous task. In Matthew chapter 9, and we're just going with the Holy Ghost today, all right? Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says, here's religion at its finest. Let me tell you the most dysfunction of religion. The Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, John's disciples are fasting. How come yours don't? It's a constant comparison and a measuring up and looking at everyone else that's supposedly supposed to be doing the right thing, and you're not. we got to lose the religious eyes. And we got to just be who God's called us to be and love well and love others well. We're all in process. Let's grow in Christ, and let's become what he's called us to become. And Jesus does this awesome thing in Matthew chapter 9. He says he likens fasting into three things. First, he uses a marriage a marital, bridal understanding, the first thing he says is, can the friends of the bridegroom fast when the bridegroom's here? The, Jesus was there. But he, then he goes to say there's a time coming when he'll be taken away, and then they will. And then I will. Why? Because the understanding of the bridal paradigm 
is that I'm so in love and I want him so much. That's why most people don't fast. It's become this hard religious thing. But if you can flip the tables, do a ninja flip on that thing and say, you know what? I'm tired of feeling like crap. I'm tired of being distracted by the cares of this world. I'm tired of being beat up and beat down. And I'm tired of not experiencing the more that the Lord has in store. And I say, Jesus, I'm so desperate for you. And I'm tired of my time being consumed. I'm tired of feeling just mentally, physically, and spiritually drained. I want to stay on edge because the minute you lose your edge is the minute you lose your fire. Nowhere in the Bible were we called to be comfortable. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) Now, he comforts us. Don't get me wrong. He's a comforter, but this idea of I always need to be comfortable is not biblical. So, he's way better than an Aerosmith song. We're not just living on the edge. We're really living on the edge with Jesus, okay? And that means that I'm desperate because only the desperate survive. I'm sorry. I don't know how else to say it. Actually, I'm not really sorry, but only the desperate survive. You write that down. Only the desperate survive. And who wants to look back at their life and go, man, I barely made it. What a brutal, miserable, arduous heart. Every night I went to sleep and I couldn't sleep and I was stressed about all my stuff. But boy, I made it, thank God. Because stress and worry and fear and anxiety is not fruit, are not fruits of the Spirit. So what I want to do is I want to shine a light into your life and you go, you're so right, Pastor, yes. And then make a change. All you got to do is say yes and be willing. And when you live out of this place of abundance, you're always positioned and always ready for whatever God wants to say and what God wants to do. He makes us spiritual. He makes us prepared. And then out of your life come signs, wonders, and miracles. See, I don't ever have to try to have signs and wonders and miracles. I just become because then they follow me, Mark 16, 15 through 20. The signs and wonders accompany. It's Mark 16, 15 through 20. You can write it down. We teach on it every Wednesday night, almost super normal, natural. The point is, is these signs will follow those that believe in my name. They're going to cast out devils. Come out in Jesus' name. They're going to pray another tongue. Sha, ka, roposikale. Yeah. I know it sounds so silly, doesn't it? But you know that the, it's childlike, not childish. There's a big difference between childlike and childish. Because I don't live childish. I believe in the Bible. And if the Bible says praying in tongues is for everyone, your prayer language, 1 Corinthians 14, 2 and 4, read it. If God wants to outpour his spirit in prophecy and we're supposed to be fiery hot for spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love. Love has to be the foundation, but earnestly desire. And I think we're missing an earnestly desire, which is the word zeal or zealous, and it means to be fiery hot. And where's the fiery hot for the authority and the power and the signs and wonders and miracles? I'm tired of going through boring dead church. I'm tired of just sitting in a seat hearing about miracles in Africa. I'm tired of us just talking about it. I'm ready to see it in action. Where's the power and the authority? I've asked myself that many times, which is why most of you are here today. You're hungry for more, and you're desperate for more. And this isn't an unattainable more. 
This isn't a just more for David Bendette. I'm not a one-man show. We're a body. God's in a community and family. He's in a tribe. People will be attracted to the signs and wonders and miracles because it fascinates them, but they will stay for the relationships and the family. That's why your anointing and your gifts and all the great stuff of who you are, let me see how you do relationships. Because God measures everything in relationships. Somebody's getting so fired up by this message right now. I am talking somebody's language in this place, I'm telling you what. Authority is not cockiness and haughtiness and pride. Authority is understanding John 1.12. That he gives you the power to become. And all of you are becoming if you say yes. And power is the word exousia, to become. This means delegated authority and influence from heaven to become. It means that you're becoming something. And in John 1.12, that becoming is a child of God. Nowhere in the Bible does it say stiff, mature adult that's got it all figured out of God. <laughs> what happened? You've been going to church too long. Some of you got the been there, done that, and bought the t-shirt mentality every time we walk in. And we come to expect less and less of church. I want the presence and the anointing and the prophetic wind of God to come into this place. That's, people are getting lit up on fire, and some of you never even answer an altar call. You're walking out more hungry and more thirsty and more desperate. I've had people say, I don't know what happened. I'm so born again. I said, did somebody pray for you? They said, no, I just started coming. God got me, and I just gave my life fully to him. You see, prophecy builds the church. Let's say that. Prophecy builds the church. Remember that. Now, some of you have heard that so many times, like, oh, man, that's old news. Sheesh. Never get tired of hearing the same message because God will reveal something to you new that you didn't know before. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. Verse 1 actually says, be fiery hot for the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. So God wants you fiery hot for gifts. Because, especially prophecy, because prophecy in the New Testament is not Dionysus' death, bird flew in the streets, the world's coming to an end. We already know that. Prophecy's building the church and edifying because verse 2 says prophecy builds the church. That's why we are a for-profit church. Get it? For-profit. I think that's funny. I know you've heard it a thousand times. I think it's hilarious. Because the challenge is so many churches are non-profit. All right. Tim, get up here. This is Tim McKittrick. Tim uh, is going to, McIntosh, sorry. I know a Tim McKittrick. He was the head of the uh, outreach department at Oral Roberts University. But you're not Tim McKittrick. Okay. You're Tim McIntosh. <laughs> Come over here. All right. uh, Tim is going to tell you what he does out in Port Aransas. He's going to tell you a miraculous story because we need testimonies like this. And I think that uh, at some point I'm tired of just talking about it. I want to see it in action, aren't you? So when you become, you see, and when you become, you'll do. And that's what we're going to read today. We're only going to read a few verses out of Psalm 91 because the whole premise is, is because I did, he did. Because I cried out, he answered. Because I set my love upon him, he delivered me. It's a, reaction, it's a, it's a response to an action that you chose to do. 
But I also learn a couple things. One, be ready at all times. The Bible says to be instant in season and out. And the only way that you can be instant is when you learn to dwell and abide with him. This is being spirit-led. This isn't being religious. This is coming to a place where you make him your habitation, your home, your dwelling place, and you continuously learn to sit with him in the secret place. Because what you do in private will be revealed in the open. You can't make that up. You can't lean on your own gifts. It's not going to captivate the hearts of people. So what you do is you spend time with them behind closed doors privately and in secret, and then you become that. And then suddenly at all times, I don't have to try. I don't ever try to do anything anymore. I don't try to convert people. I don't try to witness to people. I live my life on fire and let the fire draw people to Jesus. I was at the car wash a while ago. I didn't even tell this story. I was at the car wash. I heard a guy make a loud noise. I looked over, and this guy had made this big grumble, and he whipped around and hit a 72-year-old lady as she was walking in the door, smashed her against the wall. Her, her um, Arctic cup went flying. Ice went flying. Uh, stuff on the shelves went flying. Hit the ground, and she broke her shoulder. But the minute she hit the ground, I threw my laptop down, and I jumped up, and I ran over to her, kneeled down, grabbed her by the hand, laid hands on her head, and declared life over her. I didn't even think about doing it. I just did it. And that's the life and the place because when you get to that place of abiding with him, it affects every area of your life. And I have not fully arrived. I'm raising the bar because Jesus raised the bar and the Bible raised the bar and I've always got to be looking to come up higher. You don't ever arrive. You grow in your understanding of who he is. And she was crying and weeping and wailing, and I prayed for her supernatural healing. And it didn't heal. She didn't get healed, but she got comforted. She gripped my hand so tight, and I said, don't worry, I won't leave you till the ambulance gets here or your husband. And I called her husband. She gave me the number. Ambulance came, and I held her hand tight and encouraged her and strengthened her. They called me the next day to say, thank you so much for what I did. Now, I don't care if they ever come here. I don't need a dollar from them. I don't need any accolades. I'm not even telling you this to get accolades. I'm telling you this to tell you you learn to be in position at all times. And that's what I'm trying to get you to. I'm trying to get you guys to a place where you're living so desperately and intimately with the Lord. And you stop getting sidetracked by the cares and the affairs of this world. And I'm in that trench too. And I don't always get it right. Just ask my wife. No, don't ask my wife. I got babies and businesses and shopping center and lots of people and team leaders and my own time with the Lord and my own time with my family. Dogs. Poop and pee everywhere right now, I'm telling you. It's <laughs> between the diapers and the dogs. <laughs> what I'm telling you is you can live this life. So can I, and this is how I want to live. And so Psalm 91 has become a life psalm for me, and verse 1 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Dwell means to sit. Dwell means it's the place where I live, and I continuously stay there. I'm constantly dwelling in this place. It's a little bit different than abiding. Dwelling is like, in a sense, where I live, but abiding is that's my home. 
I got a house. That's my dwelling place. But it's the place that I inhabit and I abide in. Now, wouldn't it be nice if you could always sit eight hours a day by the water, listening to worship music, reading your Bible, and drinking coffee? That sounds like the perfect life to me. But it's unrealistic because we have responsibilities and families and we have so many other things that we have to do throughout our day and time. And what I want you to know is that you can learn to dwell and abide not by just compartmentalizing God in your secret place time, but you must have it first. And what happens is, is when I get into that place, I begin to get soaked into, I begin to take on his character and his nature, I learn his voice out of relationship, I know how he feels about me, I sit and I enjoy him in the secret place, there's not a formula for this, get out of the formula, (laughs) people tell me, how do I do that, you make time, and instead of all the other things that we do and running headlong into our work, we understand the Matthew 6.33, seek first, Because he's come, now I don't get to do it every day and I don't get to do it all the time, but it's the one thing that I consistently try to do and help my wife to do. And it's hard with two young children and responsibilities. That's why I say I fight for it. I fight for that time because what comes out of that time is a continuous abiding when I'm not there. So it's unrealistic to think that you're just going to spend, and sometimes you can do it and sometimes you will. Where all you do, I mean, take a spiritual retreat. Everybody should take spiritual retreats. Get away, go out of town. One of our favorite things to do for Amber and I when we go away, just the two of us, is we don't want to do anything but just relax, spend time with each other, blog, read our Bibles, listen to worship music, and just spend time with the Lord and with each other. And we do some other things, but if there's one thing that my wife has said to me she wants for Valentine's Day, it's just a day to just go be with the Lord and blog and write. I think that's pretty awesome. When it's not about diamonds and chocolates, people say, I can't believe you called a fast on, through Valentine's Day. <laughs> well, you better get over it because I'm calling a fast for Thanksgiving. <laughs> no, <Nah>, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm going to really test your faith. I'll tell you. We'll see what you're really made of. <laughs> Only the desperate survive. That's right. So when you dwell in the secret place or learn to sit in the see, everything starts. I'm not going to have time to go through this whole psalm today. I could make a 10-part series out of this one psalm. You know what I really want to do? I want to get you so perked up, awakened, and hungry that when you walk out of here, you're like, man, i got to read Psalm 91 today. You know what? I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 9. You know what? i got to read 1 Corinthians 10. And you walk out of this place desperate to do whatever it takes. If I can get you more hungry and desperate, I've accomplished my... If I can get you to become sons and daughters and intimacy and you know your father and hear his voice, I've accomplished my task. That's all I want from you guys. Is that, is that good? So dwelling and abiding causes you to always be under his shadow. So when I make the secret place my dwelling, then the result is, is I'm abiding under a shadow. And I always want the Lord overshadowing me. Because when the Lord's constantly overshadowing your life, you won't act any other way than the way he wants you to act. 
To abide means to take up residence and to lodge. It's your lodging place. Now, I want you to say this with me. Say this. I will say, and he will become. That's verse 2. So because you have made the secret place your dwelling, and because you're under the shadow and you're abiding with the Lord, then you'll say. Every scripture in this whole psalm is a pattern. It's a connect the dots. Read it that way. It, it all starts with this, and then the last verse ends with long life and salvation. That's the 16th verse. So everything must start with verse 1, and then you'll say. Because I'm never going to learn to say until I get verse 1. You, you say because you know. That's why faith is not an I hope so, it's an I know so. So I know the Lord because I've experienced him. You know something because you've tasted it or experienced it or had it happen to you personally. And when you get with the Lord personally, you have experiences. And he becomes your refuge, your fortress. And then suddenly, my God, I will say and he will become. Don't you love that? I'm always looking for patterns. I have to say and he will become because I chose to. I chose to dwell and abide with him, and now I'm confident, so confident that I know he's my refuge. Think of a refuge. It's a safe place. It's a den. It's a place that I can be fully covered. It's the cleft in the rock. It's God's hand covering you and protecting your life. It's the shadow of his wings that are over your life. And then suddenly you're like, man, I trust you, Lord. You come to a place where you fully trust him. Now, I'm just going to quickly go through the next 11 verses Verse 3 says, he'll deliver you from every demonic force that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. Verse 4 says, he'll cover you and we'll take our refuge, and his truth will protect and fight for us. Verse 5 says, we won't be afraid of terror, night or day. Now, I'm paraphrasing these scriptures. There's so much in them, and like I said, I only have some time to go over a couple of them. But I want you to take time to read these scriptures. Verse 5 says, not going to be afraid pull up verse 6, says there's no darkness, destruction, or pestilence. It won't have any place in your life. Three things in verse 6, darkness, destruction, and pestilence won't have any place in your life. Verse 7 and 8 says that thousands may fall, a thousand, ten thousand at your right hand, but it's not going to come near you. You'll only look and see what happens to those who choose not to live for Christ and in turn do wickedly. And the truth is, is when people make the choice to not honor and not follow and not live for and not deny, the consequences are self-destruction, animal-like natures, acting out, carnal lifestyles, bickering, biting, backstabbing, disobedient to parents, murdering. All of these are in Galatians chapter 5. They're all the fruits of the darkness. Okay? And that's all the result of people that do wickedly. But the Lord says, when you dwell and when you abide, he delivers, he protects, and in turn, you'll just see it from afar. And I believe that. I believe these things. I believe God can fully deliver me from a noisy pestilence and the plague. I believe that I don't have to live the rest of my life with asthma. I believe that you can be fully healed. And why I haven't seen it and why not everybody's made it, I don't know and don't have all the answers, but I believe God's word. And instead of living in the doubts and the what-ifs and the whys and the how-comes, 
I'm going to choose to focus on the promises and say, you know what? I don't think we got a God problem. I think we have a people problem. So, Lord, I need to get more positions so that I can become everything you want from me. And then I continue to fight the good fight of faith no matter what happens. I'm sorry for adversity. I'm sorry when things didn't go your way. I'm sorry you're struggling with hardship. I'm sorry that you're sick. You know what? Let's pray. Because I've chosen to say and believe that God can fully heal you despite what's happened to me. Could you imagine if I said, you came up for prayer, you got cancer, something's wrong. I said, you know what, God hasn't healed me, I can't pray for you, sorry. That's just so dysfunctional. Instead, I say, you know what, yeah, I believe, get up here. Shaka, come on, in Jesus' name, I command that sickness to come out. Because I've seen people healed, I've seen it happen, I've seen deliverance, I've seen the power of God come into people's lives despite me. And I choose to stand on God's word no matter what happens, and I choose to tell the devil to shut up, and I don't want to listen to the naysaying and the questioning and all the whys and all the how comes and all the what ifs. I stand on God's word because I made a resilient decision to never back down and to stand firm that if he said it, I believe it. Thousands are going to fall, but not near you. Terror is not going to come near your doorstep. You're not going to be afraid of spiritual ISIS. God never called his church to be afraid of anything. Fear is not a fruit of the spirit. But the only way that you're not going to be afraid is to take on his character and his nature and become like him and to hear his voice. Because when the Lord says, don't be afraid, I got your back. In fact, in the whole armor of God, there's only one piece you don't have. It's a back. Anything protecting your back because the Lord's your rear guard. And I don't allow dysfunction and fiery trials to take up residency in my mind. I preached that right after we lost our daughter, Eden Grace. The first message I preached was fiery trials to try you. Because unfortunately, fiery trials and trouble come. And I don't understand why or how come, but I still stand firm. And instead of letting those fiery trials take up residency in my mind, I pass the test by saying God's faithful and I trust you. And I can't make that up or I would have already given up. And so would some of you. You become it. You become something. When you become a son, you can't, I don't ever have to think, man, I hope I'll be a good Bendette today. I hope Ryan will be a good Jones today. Put your last name in there. I hope you'll live up to your name. I don't ever even think that. I'm a son, and because I'm a son, I understand who I am and what I can do, and I choose to live in that place instead of trying. The more you try to be a good Christian, the more you will fail. Stop trying and start becoming. Man, that was a good word. Stop trying and start becoming. God doesn't need more religious Pharisees. He, needs, he wants sons and daughters. Verse 9. Can you pull up verse 9? You know, I love whenever I see a because. Let's all say because. Because I did, he did. Just look at the first part of this verse. Because you have made the Lord. Just stop right there. You must have lordship in your life. Lordship gives you full leverage in this world and to do everything that God's called you to do. Without lordship, you have no leverage. None. Zero. Nada. Lordship means that he's the ruler and the master of your life, and now your life is not your own. So now suddenly I surrender all. I'm coming to the cross. 
And he says, man, I'm going to give you long life. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to set you up on a high place so that your enemies can't even touch you. Now, this is in the Bible. So I'm, I'm not, I hope you're not taking it as arrogant and haughty because it's Bible 101. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. So because I've made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, my dwelling place, Look at the next verse. No evil will befall you, nor will plague come near my dwelling. I just believe that, and I'm going to confess that over your life, over my life, and over this church. Now, there's trouble in this world. People are sick, hurting, broken, and dying. Our mission and our job is to make people healthy and whole, become strong so we can help the weak. So we've got to be up high so we can pull people up high. Not high and mighty on a pedestal and haughty, but rather be in a place where we can pull people up. If you're swimming in the cares of this world, when somebody's drowning, guess what they'll do? They'll pull you under and you will drown with them. That's why you got to get on the rock so you can reach down and pull them up out of it. Keep your feet planted on the rock. The wise man builds on the rock, not the sand. And he digs deep. Let's all say dig deep. Dig deep, dig deep is hard work. I don't like digging. I don't like shovels. I don't like digging holes especially on a hot day. It's really true. I'd rather buy a machine, <laughs> push a button. <laughs> Some people like digging. That's just not my thing. That's all I got to say. I'm all about empowering others. That's right. I just want to give, delegate. Let me empower you, brother. Dig that hole. It goes on to say that the angels will bear you up, verse 11, lest you dash your foot against a stone. He'll keep his angels charge over you. They'll keep you in all your ways. I want to be kept. Don't you? Don't you want to be kept? Verse 12, the angels will keep you in their hands and they'll bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. To dash your foot against a stone means I got tripped up. I stumbled, and I had an uh-oh. I know about tripped up stumbles and uh-ohs. I've had too many as a Christian. A lot of them. Man, too many to tell you. They're trip ups, stumbles, and uh-ohs. I got sidetracked. But the Lord in his grace and his mercy has always seen me through. And the Lord is always, always been faithful in my life and that's why i understand there's process and i understand that people can get tripped up and i know some of you do too you know what you do get yourself back up get around some people that will pull you up and love you that you can look up to stop isolating yourself no man is an island of themselves god's into body community tribe and family and we are by far from perfect but we're get, we're moving in the right direction we need each other Crisis comes, trouble comes, failures happen. But you need people to love you, not beat you down. Christians can be the worst at kicking their own when they're down, right? Let's not be that Christian. And of course, verse 13, there's two words that jump out in verse 13. Everybody say tread and trample. Now let me show you what treading is. Treading is I'm, I'm constantly in the battle. I'm constantly treading. I'm constantly overcoming. 
and then I trample. To trample means to stomp, by the way. So I'm, I'm treading, I'm living, I'm working, I'm fighting the good fight of faith, we're overcoming, we're expanding, we're growing, I'm loving, I'm denying, I'm doing all the things. I'm defeating the devil by a lifestyle. I'm the lion and the cobra, who's already defeated, by the way, right? This is pre-Jesus, but the premise here is that they're already defeated, so I'm going to keep treading on the lion and the cobra. And then when the young lion and the serpent comes, Yeah, because he's already, def- I'm just going to stomp him a little harder. See, Jesus is sitting down until his enemies are made his footstool. You know who his feet are? All of us. We're his hands and his feet. So the, he's already defeated, but we just get to tra- tread and trample him a little bit more. Now verse 14. These are the last two verses, and then we're going to pray. Verse 14, because he has set, everybody say because. Now, by the way, the first 13 verses was all the psalmist talking, now the Lord talks. Quote, quotation. Because you got, because all that stuff, here comes the Lord and he says this. Because he has set his love upon me. Now, this word for love and setting our love upon the Lord is, di- is a different word than the other Hebrew words for love. The other Hebrew words for love are ahav. And that is the understanding of brotherly love. That's benefactory love. It's like Philadelphia, phileo love in the New Testament. Okay? This love is a love that is, stand up. I'm going to hug her so tight, and I'm attaching myself to her because I love her so much. It's different than, man, I really love my truck. (laughs) I do really love my truck. Man, I love that lobster. This is so much different than that. This is the love that I, the love that I have for my, for the Lord, like my bride, by the way, is a love that causes me to join and fasten myself to. And I set, understand, you set your love upon Him, and because you choose to make Him your first love, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He comes and he delivers you. And then he sets you on high because we know his name. What does it mean to set our love upon him? It means he becomes our everything. And I'm looking for wild-eyed, wild-eyed on-fire sons and daughters. I'm telling you, I'm going to keep saying it and challenging you. Comfortable Christianity is not in the Bible. Being comforted by the Holy Spirit is. It's time to go all in. Slide all the chips across the table, for goodness sakes. I'm all in. I'm going to risk it all for the sake of the call, for the sake of the gospel. So the Lord says he'll deliver, and he'll set us on high because we've known his name. To know his name is a very important understanding. The word know is the word yada in the Hebrew. It means to consider, to say yes, and then to learn. It means to know by experience. Remember, Christianity is an experience-based faith. Not a logical, intellectual, I have it all figured out mentally. You'll get a lot of ahas because it'll give you knowledge and understanding. But Christianity is experience-based. Being born again, an experience. 
Baptized, experience. Healed, experience. His presence, experience. Holy Spirit, experience. Casting out demons, praying in tongues, experiences. Doesn't mean we throw out logic and intellect, but it means that my intellect and my logic is now submitted to the Lordship of Christ, not my master. So to know means that I've gained knowledge and become wise. It means that I've made myself known and allowed myself to be revealed. It means that I've come out of hiding and I'm no longer in shame because I know his name. What's in a name? Fame, glory, honor, reputation. In fact, I would encourage all of you to study the names of God. If you're looking for a really great study, because in his name is his identity and his nature, who he is and what he does. And there's so many awesome names of God. So to understand him is to know his name. And so because we know his name, we do verse 15. We call out. To call out means to lift your voice and cry out. It's the word kara, and we said it as korah. Same as Jeremiah 33.3, one of my favorite life scriptures. It means, I cry out to you, Jesus, my Savior, my Deliverer, because in your name I know who you are. And it means I'm not going to just be silent. I'm going to lift my voice with it. It literally means to shout, and then it's the understanding of that he shouts back. So let's say this, I call, he answers. Oh, don't you love that? Let's say it again. I call, and he answers. If God didn't talk back, most of my prayer life's not even talking anymore. I just want to hear his voice. Hey, Jesus, what's happening? An hour later, I'm crying. I didn't say another word. I just cried. I don't even know what happened. So he's with us in trouble. And then he delivers and he honors. And I'm just going to leave you with this and we're going to close. The understanding of deliver here is different than the other words of deliver. This word deliver means he makes a way of escape and he enables you to slip away. He brings security to your life and he carries you to safety. That's the premise of he sets you on high places, that you become untouchable. You get honored and elevated to where the enemy has no place in your life. He wants to honor you. He wants to honor you. He wants to deliver you. And then finally, the last verse that culminates the whole psalm is verse 16. So think of verse 1 and tie it right to verse 16. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. With long life, I will satisfy him. I talked last week about what it means to be full of joy. Full and satisfied are the almost interchangeable because being satisfied means to be, sate, to, have, to be sated and to have surfeit. It means I'm so full and I'm so satisfied that I'm, that's how David could say in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, means I'm lacking nothing. Now, I have not arrived. I'm a work in progress and so are you. We're all growing to understanding. But, I'll, but this last thing, he'll show you his salvation. You know what the word salvation is in the Hebrew? It's the word Yeshua, yeah. which is the word Jesus in the Greek. So the premise is with long life, he'll satisfy us, and you're going to see Jesus. Because what's in a name? The word Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. 
And the word salvation has three meanings. It means he rescues you, he delivers you, he defends and protects you, and he makes you whole. That's what salvation means. The next time somebody gets weird about, oh, are you saved? Heck yeah, I'm living a holistic life. Because Jesus really does save. But the devil's such a liar, he's going to put this whole hell thing in oh, geez, and make the save thing. Hollywood makes fun of it. Oh, you're saved? Heck yeah, I've been made whole. I'm mentally, physically, and spiritually strong. When I was once a womanizing, drug-addicted, foul-mouthed, drinking, drug pot smoking and selling, I mean, you name it, I was all that stuff. He came, he, he rescued me, he delivered me, he defended me, and he made me whole. So, so with long life, He satisfies you, and then he shows you his Jesus, his Yeshua, his salvation. Now just soak that in. Soak it in. Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, senior pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up.